Sorry, there's no segue video today. We're just going to get right into the Word. I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've been in here the last uh, two weeks. We're going to finish up chapter 15 today. That is my hope. And uh, we're looking at this message that Paul has passed on in his letter to the church at Corinth as he is inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen these words and God has preserved them for us, there's something for us to gain from it. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word in the last verse of chapter 15. That's verse 58. should be on page 1022 if you're using our Pew Bible. And, um, and uh, I invite you to... Uh, turn there. We're going to look at this last verse. We're going to be dealing with a lot of text, but I, it focuses and, and is encapsulated in these words. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord God, these words are written here for your purpose. They're written for our receiving, for our hearing, for our trust, for our obedience. God, you've given them to us. This is an act of your grace. So I pray that we would not take it lightly. I pray that you would help us to hear, to see, and to respond. And that God, because of your word, because of you, more than any other, In spite of me, Lord, you would have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been in this series called Awakened based on the emphasis of the letters to 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Um, Each of these letters that you find in the New Testament, each book of the Bible, has a particular emphasis, a theme, if you will. Um, It wasn't that that was the the, uh, author's intent, at least I, I, I don't know that they said, I said, hmm, what's my theme in this letter? Uh, they do have a central point, though, in each of the things they're communicating, so you could say that that is the theme. And this important point in the letters to First and Second Corinthians, as the Apostle Paul, who is the author, is writing to an audience that is a church at Corinth, an audience that is deviated from uh, from the faithful walk uh, with Christ. They've been distracted. They've been divisive. They've been uh, apathetic to doctrine. They've been all kinds of disarray um, with sin. They've been dealing with difficulties, needless to say. Paul is setting the aim of this is what it means to have your eyes open, to be alert to who Christ is and the work of the cross. And when your eyes are open to that, when you see that, it changes everything. At least it should. I don't know how you could actually see that and not be changed by it. Although we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, we as children of God, we become very distracted. We become very, um, let's just say forgetful at times of the message. And so we need to be reminded. And the Bible is preserved so we might have that reminder. And here as Paul is kind of ending this Letter. This is one of four letters he actually wrote to the church at Corinth. We do not have the other two letters. Doesn't mean we are less inspired. Uh, God preserved these two for us, and, and this is His Word. 
And the other two were just correspondence. But as Paul is wrapping up this letter and, and finishing his thoughts, he's been talking about the glories of the resurrection. He begins this book, this letter, by emphasizing the fact that the cross challenges us. And then the resurrection encourages us. It, it shifts our mind to let us know that, wow, we will have to bear a cross. We will have to live and do hard things when it comes to following Christ. But He is worth it and He overcomes. That's the encouragement of the resurrection. That's the, the shifting that, wow, if He can do that, if He can overcome that, then anything is possible with Him. And why should I be afraid? The greatest threat, the greatest obstacle, the greatest conflict I could ever face is death, and Jesus overcomes that. So yes, it's worth it. And so He challenges at the end of this letter, leading near the end, He says, I'm asking you, my dear brothers and sisters, to be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, when we're looking to see what this says and, and what it means and how it applies and whether we're going to follow it, these are the things that characterize whether we will actually experience life change from Scripture. Instead of just being entertained or encouraged or enlightened, we want to actually experience life change. We've got to ask, what does it say? What does it mean? And How does it apply? And, and am I really going to do anything about it? We're going to answer a question. What challenges are presented to the body of Christ, to the people in Corinth, and to us today as hearers of this Word, to those awakened in Christ by His cross. What challenges are presented to us? The first challenge that Paul writes to both brothers and sisters, there is no discrimination here. He doesn't say only to rich Corinthians. He doesn't say only to poor Corinthians. He doesn't say only to one race of Corinthians. He says to both brothers and sisters, general, everyone that's a follower of Christ, because this is written to the church, be steadfast. Be steadfast. What does it mean to be steadfast? Many of us have different ideas. It means to be anchored or rooted or have a foundation. What is that for the Christian? What exactly provides that fixing point for the Christian? And I believe it's answered throughout the points that he has been making. Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in fact, what he's saying, in light of all that I've been pushing and speaking about the resurrection, here's what you need to know. The reasons you can be steadfast are found in verses 20 through 28. You can be steadfast because Jesus has overcome death. That's a fixture for your life. That's a steadfast anchor that should never be let go of, should never be taken lightly. That Jesus has overcome fruit, has overcome death. That He has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This idea of first fruit is like He is the first of many that were to come. He set the pattern. He made the mark that will never be erased. And He did it by overcoming death for since death came through a man the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man for just as in adam all die so also in christ all will be made alive that death was that one fixture in our life that all people could be certain of some people say death and taxes um but death for sure i guess there's parts of the world where people don't pay taxes i don't know i don't know what kind of part of the world that is sounds like it might be a little enjoyable but um but death was something that was not an escape point. 
It was central. It was key. Everyone had to deal with that topic. In fact, that's one of the main questions in the philosophies of life. They're like, it all comes down to there are about five questions that all of our philosophies really branch off of. One, what is our origin story? Where does man come from? Two, what is our identity? Who are we really? Three, what is our meaning? Do we have a purpose? Four, what is our morality? Is there a standard or right and wrong? And five, what is our destiny? What happens when we die? Almost every philosophy, every answer to question comes on those, hinges on those five questions. Then that's the very generalized version of it. But all of us have to deal with that topic of death. And what Paul says is that, yes, this was something that was passed down from our spiritual ancestors. That was a part of our physical being. That just as Adam, the first created man, sinned and death became a part of his genetic code. That from that point, when we breathe our first, we're already making our next breath toward our last. Death was fixated. But because of Jesus, He's overcome death. He has changed that anchor, that certainty. That death may happen, but life happens after. Everlasting life, eternal life. We can be steadfast because we have that hope that this is what Jesus has done for us. We can also be steadfast because Jesus has authority in His hands. He says, but each in His order, Christ, the first fruits afterward at His coming, those who belong to Christ. This is what's expected afterwards. Then comes the end when He hands over the kingdom to God the Father. When He abolishes all rule and all authority and all power, for He must reign until He puts all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. And one day, death will no longer even be on the table. For God has put everything under His feet. God has put everything under His feet. The God the Father says, I have entrusted this to God the Son. This work of the Trinity is here. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, all working in God the Father. Saying, I subject everything to Jesus. That it, The point of this is that Jesus is the one that's going to have the final word. This is His position. This is His title, His authority. And it was gifted to Him. And everything, all in all, will be there. So now that we have the steadfastness of the one who overcomes death. But we have the one who has the final word. The one who has ultimate authority in his hand is who we answer to. That's him. That's a fixture for our life that gives us security. And lastly, lastly we see this, that Jesus has not only done this, that not only has he overcome death and not only does he have authority, but Jesus has charted the course for us. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son Himself will also be subject to the One who subjected everything to Him so that God may be all in all. That in the Trinity, there's this perfect bond. The three in one. Who is God? Where Jesus says, yes, it's been given to me the final word. But I just want you to know, my whole life, everything that was there, was set up in the pattern of obeying the Father. The Father has given me all authority and I've obeyed everything the Father has given me. That Jesus has set the course of this is what obedience and trust and faith looks like. That even in Jesus, in His full humanity, was subjected in His obedience to the full divinity of God. Even though He was God Himself, He also in His full humanity subjected His life to the divinity of God. He set the tone for our life of what faith and obedience looks like. And once that 
course, once that steadfast stone is there, it cannot be altered. It cannot be manipulated. We need to see this as found in Jesus. If we're going to rise to the challenge, we've got to have a point that says, this is my anchor, this is my hope, this is my solid ground of why I do this. And the one who overcomes death, the one who has uh, all authority, and the one who has set the, the, the example of perfect obedience is a good spot. I can think of no other better reason for our steadfastness in this challenge. The second challenge that Paul lays based upon the resurrection is not only to be steadfast, but be immovable. You may say, well, steadfast, immovable, aren't those the same words? No. That's why they're steadfast and immovable. It's completely different spelling. And it's two different words in the Greek. But this means unchangeable, not deviating. Steadfast is that whole activity of of having an anchor and a firm fixture, but immovable means not deviating, not drifting, not, not being distracted, as was the case for the church at Corinth by all kinds of problems, by divisiveness and holding personalities, human personalities higher than others, by letting rampant habitual sin just continue on as if it was okay, and even condoned by um, holding somebody's convictions higher than another's and saying, well, I'm holier than they are because they don't share my same personal convictions. All these different cases. They were deviated and distracted because of it. But Paul writes the reasons for them to be immovable, to not change and not to alter. And that is first, to not deviate because of death. He says, otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? And why are we in danger every hour? Let me say, that's a weird statement there. I don't know if I've ever read that or if I've read that and had questions about it. There are religions, by the way, that still baptize for the dead. Um, apparently, as scholars have really looked at this and, and really investigated all the practices that were going on in the early church, this was something that had happened regionally at the church at Corinth that Paul's using as example. Basically, there were believers that had trusted Christ, but they had died before they were ever baptized. And so to honor them in the hope of the resurrection, not so that they would be resurrected, but in the hope of the resurrection, they, there were people that were saying, well, I'm going to be baptized by my loved one who did know Christ, who was a follower, but was never baptized. That was their way and a custom in that place. It's not a custom practice anywhere else and not condoned in the Scripture, but just made known that it happened in the church of Corinth. Now, there are religions and faith out there that say, well, um, I'm, I'm going to, they take that verse and, and they turn it to a counterfeit gospel and they, they, they baptize people in the hope that that person will be saved in the afterlife, they were never a follower of Christ. They were never a follower of the faith, but they're baptized by someone else or someone else is baptized for them in this life so that they may be, have the hope of being resurrected later. That's not what the Bible's speaking of. Just so we're clear. This is not the Mormon teaching. But what Paul is emphasizing is this. We cannot be deviated by death. He goes back to that whole point that the resurrection is something that moves us away from that fear. It moves us away from that. And Paul is talking to the church of Christ. That's why you had this hope. That's why you do this. Because you know that the hope you have in the resurrection. 
You know the hope that that person that died had the hope in the resurrection. And they're experiencing it. So do not be deviated because of death. Do not let death make you lessened in your trust to the Lord, in your obedience to Him. Not only do you not deviate because of death, but do not deviate because of the suffering of life. Some people are like, well, I don't fear death, but I do fear suffering. I fear inconvenience. I fear uncomfortableness. I fear pain. I fear rejection. Paul says, "Then you know, otherwise, why are we in danger every hour? This whole paragraph is about otherwise. You know, taking these arguments... Why are we in fear danger every hour? Paul had experienced a life as a missionary. He'd gone from city to city to places that had never heard the name of Jesus. And he was going to teach them about this Jesus. He faced all kinds of agonies. We'll talk about that as he shares a little bit about his experience on these roads in, in uh, 2 Corinthians. We'll look at that picture a little bit later. He says, I face death every day. As surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus our Lord. says, I even fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man. What good did that do to me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He says, if, if, if there's no hope in the resurrection, then surely you want to escape all suffering. Surely. That's it. But if there's a hope of something that is lasting, that is eternal, then not even the sufferings of this world should ever deviate us from following after God. That we'll be immovable in that course that God has set for us. And then lastly, not only that we would not be deviated because of death or because of suffering in this life, but we would not be deviated because of counterfeits. He says here, Do not be deceived. Verse 33, bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. Apparently, there was a teaching that was going on in the church at Corinth, and this was a teaching that made its way to other places, that, you know what, the the fullest life you have is the life you live now. You be you. Live it out however you want because there's no, there's no, um, judgment at the end. There's no resurrection. It's just eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow we die. And Paul is saying, if you're letting that counterfeit sink into your life, of course you're going to be deviated. He says bad company does corrupt morals. What you listen to, what you allow to be taught in your life is going to affect you. So make sure it lines up fully with the pattern of the entirety of Scripture. Not someone taking one verse and blowing it out of context. That's why it's not good to build your life on mere Instagram theology. Or you just take the verse that someone posted and quoted for the day, and that's it. No, learn and grow in the entirety of Scripture, for it is all God's Word. It is all God-breathed. It is all useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, for training in righteousness so the man or woman of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. And know that we must measure what we are doing when we come to what we're reading and how we're being taught. Make sure it lines up because bad company corrupts morals. We must come to our senses, be rational about this. And not listen to people that are ignorant about God. 
if we're going to be immovable. We cannot let these things deviate us. And we've got to make sure that others are not deviated because of us. Think about this. We're held responsible for what we know, what has been entrusted to us. We never want it to be that our company corrupts. We never want it to be that our company is what allows people to just go on being distant from God. That we set the tone in their life. That's a hard call. And that's why it's a challenge. We must be steadfast. We must be immovable. Thirdly, we must be aware. Aware of what? And where do you see that? I don't see him saying be aware. He says be steadfast, be immovable. But he doesn't say be aware, Brother Jerome. He doesn't, that's where, why are you finding that? Well, Paul highlights a few things that, that he's saying before this, this therefore. He's talking about awareness in light of these things. Be aware of Christ's redemption. Be aware that His redemption brought about a, a new creation in your life. Verses 35-37. through 37. Then how were the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Paul's speaking about this redemption and about this new creation that occurs. And he says, you fool, if you're not listening, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Something has to go away in order for a new creation to be there. When Jesus put to death the sin in our life by the salvation He gave to the cross, something died. The same is true when this physical death, there will be a new body that's raised up. Why must it be a new body? Because our bodies are in corruption. They're, they're corruptible, the Scripture tells us. Because they are dishonorable. Sown in dishonor according to verse 42 and 43. They are a part of weakness, but they're going to be raised in glory. They are natural and, and move towards decay, but what is after is something that is spiritual. So it may be error, returned to bearing God's image as He intended. That we must be aware of the work of Christ's redemption if we're going to get this. This is what God is doing in our life and what God has promised He will do to take care of His loved ones. We must also be aware of Christ's return. Christ's return. He says, what I'm saying this, brothers, is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. That we will not all fall asleep. We will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. Something new is there. We will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, something that is unblemished, untarnished, undying. This mortal body must be clothed with immortality, something eternal. And when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this immortal, this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We must be aware that there's going to be a day, we don't know when, it's a mystery, but there will be a day when this redemptive work has been taking place at salvation and will be completed when we go to meet Jesus, either by our death or by His return. And something new will be there. But also, also, not only of Christ's redemption and Christ's return, but of Christ's reward. That your labor is not done in vain. That something is accomplished by what you do here for the glory of God. 
That you are not living a purposeless life just filling in a gap of time. That you live here and breathe here and exist here for God's glory, for God's good, for God's grace to be known, for God's Gospel to be shared. And that that is our reward. I've shared this before. There are only two things that are not even conceivable in heaven. In that eternal life, that'll be a part of our, our, our recognition. You know what those two things are? One is, it's a place that's completely holy, so there will be no sin. None. It'll be a sinless place. That is one thing that is inconceivable, it will not be there. No sin can dwell in the presence of God. You know what the second thing is? There'll be no more telling people about Jesus. Because those there are the ones that already know. It's the one thing you can do here that it makes no sense to do there because they already know. And it's a part of our reward that those that we tell will share in Christ's reward. And that we can have part in them hearing the news and Christ doing His work in their life. We must be aware that what we do here is not in vain. And lastly, We must do it with excellence. We must excel in the Lord's work. Always excelling in the Lord's work. Not, well, I'll excel in the Lord's work for that hour on Sunday. Or I'll excel maybe on even on Wednesday. I'll excel a little bit more than somebody did on Sunday. Or, you know, that's how we think sometimes. Um, Or I'll excel when we had that mission trip. No, it says always excelling in the Lord's work. Why would we, that would be the call. Sometimes we're so passive. Sometimes we settle for something that's just mediocre and manageable. As if we don't have this incredible steadfast hope. As if we don't have this immovable course. As if we don't have this awareness that's challenged to us that we're to do something with excellence. That not only what we do, but how we do it matters. Because when I look in the Scripture, absolutely nothing about the Jesus of Scripture declares a God of mediocrity. Why should that be said of His children? Why should that be said of His church? That is the challenge. Not because we're good enough on our own merit. Not because we're able, because of our own resources. Not because we're smart enough based on our own intellect. But because God has done a work like no other that is, that is beyond, it's beyond anything greater than anybody could do. I, I know of nothing greater that could be done than that which God has already done. So why would we settle in our worship, in our, in our discipleship, in, in our love and fellowship, in our ministry, in our worship, in our evangelism? Why would we settle if God has done this excellent work that says nothing that God does is done with mediocrity or passivity. It's done with excellence. Why would we as children, why would we just be comfortable with saying, oh, that'll pass, that'll be good. That's good enough for God. This is not asking for legalism. It's just saying, God, thank you for delighting in me with your grace. Help me delight in you with my life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.
today as we come to this point of response and we've heard your word, I pray that people understand that what is being declared is it's not something that I'm asking to do on our own merit or our own ability. It's only because of your gospel. It's only because you are a holy God who saw us in our sin and knew that there was nothing we could do, that we all fall short of your standard, that you sent your Son, you sent yourself as Jesus. And then you went to the cross and took our place. And you present us with this gift that gives us the ability to choose and trust in you. And, and that has implications that are eternal. Yes, life and death and heaven or hell. But it also transforms life here. And God, I pray that we do not lose sight in that. We do not lose our hope in what you have done and who you are and what you've said. And that we will not miss out on what you have called us to do for such a time as this. So show us how we must trust and respond in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this time. As we come to this portion of our worship gathering, we, we invite people to have a time of response. That's what the invitation is. A time where you think upon what the message has been about, about God's Word and and. Whatever God is doing in your life through the work of the Holy Spirit, you listen. And then you trust and you obey. For anything else is rejection. Anything else is disobedience. Anything else is saying, God, I don't believe you're right. So in the gravity of that, in this moment of invitation, as the music's about to play, I'm going to invite you to follow as God is leading in your life. For some of you, the message of God's grace to you, His good news uh, that saves us, it might be the first time that's sunk in. And you may be wondering what to do. What am I to do with that? And if you need steps to find that peace with God and to trust in Him, I, I would love to share that with you. First, it's admitting that Wow, God, what you've said about life and about me is right. I'm lost without you. And I admit, I'm, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And, and, and it's about believing that Jesus is exactly who the Scripture has said He is. It's trusting in Him. And then it's confessing your sins to Him and saying, God, forgive me of those and, and help me to follow You as Lord. Save me, for I believe in You. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, I would love to share with you how to do that. I'm going to be in the front should you need someone to walk you through that and help counsel you and what it means to trust in Him. But those of you who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you that have already trusted in Jesus, you've already done that. Maybe there's something else that God is saying. This is what I'm saying for you. Maybe it's that time where God is saying, have you ever been scripturally baptized? But the practice that's actually condoned by Scripture is, is you declaring Jesus as your Lord and, and you being baptized in front of the believers. Whether few or many, making it public. Maybe it's uniting with the church. That in the Bible you found people that were, that were gathered together in local bodies. Paul would point out specific people that were in that church. 
Maybe it's you needing to unite with a church and membership today. Maybe it's God calling you to lead or serve in some capacity. Maybe it's God saying, I'm sending you to this place that you've been afraid to go and you just need to know what it takes to do that next step. I, I don't know what it is, but I do know this. That when God makes that impression in your heart, it's time for us to listen and follow. I'll be here at the front for whatever it is that you may need counsel with, prayer for, encouragement. You follow as God would lead. I'm here just to help.